Welcome to All Things Erie from Erie PA. I'm Kathy, your host for today's episode. And today in episode 48, we're going to be talking about sex trafficking and more specifically child sex trafficking. Now you might ask yourself, in Erie, is such a thing possible? Could it happen there? And the answer to that is a resounding yes. Just a year ago in August in a Mill Creek business on Peninsula Drive, was a part of a human trafficking case. That particular business, according to an Erie News Online article by Ed Palatella, had their zoning application filled out by a woman named Quen Shen. This business was leased as a massage therapy business, but the application was filled out in December of 2016. What do they know of Quen Shen? Is that she was a resident of Pittsburgh and at least that's what her driver's license said, and that she had a state license as a massage therapist. Now, the zoning board for Mill Creek approved her application the very next day. Michelle would then open up her business on Peninsula Drive, and this is the same business that the FBI agents searched in August of 2019 in a federal investigation of human trafficking prostitution and harboring of illegal immigrants as at the Asian massage parlors in Florida, Virginia, and here in Pennsylvania. How was a small business here in Erie, Pennsylvania connected to two other states? Was it Ms. Shen? Nope. In the investigation that followed, federal charges of using interstate facilities for purpose of racketeering, conspiracy to commit laundering and harboring of illegal aliens for commercial advantage or for private financial gain were brought against one David C. Williams, who's 41 and whose business is or was an owner uh, from Pensacola, Florida. And according to an article from Tribe Live, by Paul Pierce. Williams himself was accused of engaging in human trafficking by employing women who would perform sex acts for money at these massage parlors. And that time, at that time, Williams was waiting in prison in Florida while he was awaiting prosecution in the U.S. District Court in Pensacola, Florida. But exactly what was Mrs. Shen's role? Now, according to this article, Shen was the link between Williams and via the zoning form and some other documents. Ms. Shen was also the link between Williams business operations in Florida and at least two other massage parlors here in Pennsylvania, including the one on Peninsula Drive. And according to the Pennsylvania Attorney General's office, how Shen went about opening the office is what made it appear legitimate even though it was a human trafficking ring under the guise of a massage parlor. Now, what Williams would do is, quote, use a nominee to conceal his ownership of the massage parlor and their corresponding bank accounts. And this is according to the FBI. However, Shen was listed as an agent along with Williams at three of the Asian massage parlors in Florida. And according to the article and the records in Florida, one in Panama City and one in Pensacola, Florida, which is where the FBI investigation originated of Williams in July of 2017. According to an affidavit of probable cause, 
the FBI said that it had received two anonymous tips to the National Human Trafficking Hotline that the massage parlors were probably using underage females and offering sex acts for money during the massage sessions. The FBI used a confidential informant to confirm that sex acts were being offered at the massage parlor in Panama City, and the investigation only expanded from there. Now, the, the authorities in Florida learned that the FBI was conducting a parallel investigation of Williams in the western and northern Pennsylvania area. And according to the article and the affidavit, between early July 2017 and the fall of 2018, Williams made approximately $1.2 million on the massage parlors. There were dozens of these massage parlors linked to Williams, with five of them being in the state of Pennsylvania alone. One located in Turtle Creek, Carnegie, Jeanetteville, or Jeanette, Bridgeville, and McKees Rock. Now, doing the math, and if I did it right, and this is all profit, this asset made off of these women, and this is all over after over overhead cost, $100,000 a month. Now, I'll let that sink in. I'll give you a moment. That's $100,000 per month off of these women who were either brought here by nefarious means or were brought here with the promise of a good job and a better life in the U.S. And when they opened these locations, at least the one here in Erie, Shen's application created absolutely no issues with the Mill Creek Zoning Board because it shows that she didn't need a variance, which would have required her to show up at a meeting before the board to explain her plans, meaning she didn't change anything on the outside. She didn't need to change anything on the inside to a great degree where she would have to come before the board. And let me tell you, Mill Creek is extremely picky when it comes to that and when and where and how it comes to businesses in Mill Creek's location. They have almost lost businesses. Actually, they did lose a business because of this. And that's how bad it is. So how Miss Shen got through is absolutely mind-boggling. I mean, absolutely... I have no idea, but because Shen's license was valid and they said she had no disciplinary actions against it, Mill Creek saw no reason to deny her the zoning permit. Although Shen herself did have a much harder time getting her license near Carnegie in Pittsburgh. This was for the business called Time Massage. Shen had to appear before the Carnegie Borough Council to get a conditional use to be able to open, open this particular business. The then council voted a five to one to grant Shen's application after Shen assured the council members that it wouldn't be a front for prostitution. That was according to the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette article from 2014. Well, Shen didn't exactly lie. It wasn't just a front for prostitution. Shen just admitted the entire truth of it all to include human trafficking and harboring of illegal immigrants, but it didn't take long for the business to get in trouble for prostitution. So she just, you know, swept that part under the rug. In 2016, a member of law enforcement was offered a sexual act in exchange for money which of course led to an arrest and during that arrest, according to this article, 
none of the Asian females there had any physical identification on their person, but produced their identification on their cell phones. So they were allowed to take a picture of their green card, whatever ID they had, that's what they showed to the police. This also, according to the affidavit, excuse me, the women were living in the rooms at that business. They were performing their jobs there. There was luggage and large amounts of cash found in the closets of these business. So that is a huge red flag for anybody going in there that is part of law enforcement. And any people going there for a quote-unquote massage, they don't care what is in there what's going on they're there for something else the large amounts of cash the large the luggage that's there for these people uh, that should be I mean could you imagine living in these small rooms I mean just like you see on TV these little rooms these women are packed into them that's that's their life they don't go anywhere else it was also noted during the investigation this the FBI sees Backpage.com and other affiliated websites, the investigators found that 6,827 advertisements were associated with multiple locations between the Florida, Virginia, and Pennsylvania locations, which helped to connect Williams to the businesses. The total amount spent on these advertisements was $63,952, which really in the scheme of it is a drop in the bucket. It was nothing for them to pay out that amount of money considering how much he made for the year. 1.2 million dollars, a hundred grand per month, that's nothing. Even as the massage parlor was being investigated, According to an article from Erie, by Erie News Now by Emily Matson, they went on the website and a picture of a young woman was there and underneath it, it read, Hi, I'm Kiki. Give me a call. And it still had the local number listed. And I remember them doing this, uh, this uh, news piece because they were still surprised that the website was still up. Actually, everybody was still surprised. When the Mill Creek supervisor, John Groh, learned of the raid, he said, prostitution, human trafficking, these are serious matters, very serious matters. I was shocked to hear about it. And when the business applied for the zoning permit, it seemed legit. And not only that, there were other legitimate Asian massage businesses in the area that were concerned the arrest would show their businesses negatively. But Here's the question. How is Williams getting them there? Investigations looking into Williams' credit card purchases found 24 airline tickets for over a dozen Asian females between April and October of 2017 that were purchased from New York area airports with Florida being the destination. But it still doesn't explain how the women got to New York. How did they actually get there? And who brought them? There were four people who were arrested along with Williams in the Pennsylvania area. Hugh Zhu, 44, of Mount Pleasant. Now, he owned and operated four Tokyo massage parlors alleged to be involved. Shang Yu Shen, 51, of Monroeville, who was a handyman and manager at the parlors. 
Hugh Kun Wen, 47, of Flushing, New York. And he was identified as the owner and manager at Judy's Oriental Massage Parlor in Murraysville. And Robert Delano Yerrick, 83, of Delmont, who was an administrator and handyman. Now, this investigation, had, it, was a, it was a collaboration between federal, state, and local law enforcement. The assistant United States attorney, David L. Goldberg, he is, he is prosecuting this particular case. This is also in addition to the Pennsylvania Office of Attorney General. These following law enforcement agencies also participated in this investigation. It's the FBI, the Internal Revenue Service, they have their criminal investigations, Homeland Security investigations, the Florida Department of Law Enforcement, the Pennsylvania State Police, the Okaloosa County Sheriff's Office, the Santa Rosa Sheriff's Office, Gainesville Police Department, the Clearwater Police Department, and then last, Florida State Attorney's Office. When you look back on things, sometimes you do see things with hindsight 2020, and it seems like it should have been slapping you directly in the face. However, earlier in the episode when I was talking about when Ms. Shen was getting her license for businesses in Pittsburgh, specifically Carnegie, in an article from the Post-Gazette by Marilyn Pitts, she interviewed the council member who had voted against Mrs. Shen back in 2014. That person was quoted as, it didn't seem like a business that we wanted in Carnegie. That was quoted by Mr. Catania. He was also quoted as saying, if I remember correctly, there was a similar place in Turtle Creek when I started searching the people's names. There was an individual out there who had prior run-ins with the law for prostitution. And according to this article in the Post-Gazette, it elaborated that when Quen Shen had went to get permission to open the massage parlor, she used her 16-year-old son named Max. Now he spoke for Quen Shen because he had told the council members that his mother did not speak fluent English. And according to the article by the Post-Gazette, in the conversation at the hearing on June 9, 2014, with the solicitor for Carnegie, Joseph G. Lucas, Mrs. Shen's son Max stated that the customers would be only in their underwear and that the massage therapist would be clothed and that his mother would only she would be able to walk in at any given time and that since the doors would be unlocked there would be no questions now people that are familiar with clinical and medical massages but then you think they're fronts for prostitution and this is according to mr lucas but there's no way to really tell except to ask you but think about it if I'm going to come out and ask you, is this a front for prostitution and you're applying for a business, who's going to say, yeah, because you're going to get turned down. I, I mean, the guy's being honest, he's asking, but they're going to lie. Nobody's going to say, yes, I'm going to come out, come out and say, yes, I'm going to have a front for human trafficking and I'm going to be having a prostitution ring right underneath your nose. I get his point in asking, but people lie. That's the point to this whole thing. They lie. They lie from the get-go in getting these girls 
to come with them for these jobs. Now, according to a statement by Rick DeLoss, who had, now DeLoss, who had also served on the council at the time, there were people who opposed, who were opposed to this business opening, and they were suspicious. It, they were suspicious that it wasn't on the up and up. It, and people have gut feelings, and that's, you know, everybody has that gut feeling. However, their community had been hit hard back in 2004 by Hurricane Ivan, which had put most of their main street underwater and made the vacancy rate of 90%. DeLoss said that they had worked very hard to get businesses back into their community. But then you have to ask yourself, at what cost? And when you have a gut feeling, do you go with it? Or is it or do you have to sit there and think, is this person, when you know that that person had, there was a person with that name that had problems with the law and prostitution, did that person do their time and are they trying to get back on their feet? You these are decisions that council members have to make and that is part of being in the community. Now, as I was re as I was researching for this article, I came across another more recent incident from this year in July of 2020. In Dauphin County, police filed charges against three women, Zayanome Min, 44, Zongfei Lane, 34, and Ting Lin, 33. These women are from Flushing, New York, and they're facing charges for prostitution after investigation into a, quote, alleged massage parlor in High Spire, and that is located on the first block of 2nd Street. Now, my question is, is this connected to the prostitution ring and human trafficking from 2019? There's no question that human trafficking is a huge epidemic in this country, let alone the world. And unfortunately, it's nothing new. People have been buying and selling others for centuries. And this is something that's hard for us to imagine growing up with as much freedom as we have in the U.S. But even looking up information about slavery about the South brought up an interesting article about people being enslaved in the U.S. well into the 1960s. And how is that possible, you asked? The art article written by Antoinette Harrell talks about after the Emancipation Proclamation that those that owned plantations would have had people become indebted to the owners and were not allowed to leave the property at the end of the season because the people would try to settle up with the plantation owner. But every year, they would be told they didn't quite make it back into the black and, well, just come back and try again next year. And that's how people ended up being tied to the land until 1960s. Could this be possible? Can this be possible? Absolutely. It was a practice done throughout the South with keeping people indebted to the owners so they could keep people tied to the land. Did I know it was clear up to the 1960s? No. But that was something that was talked about in my history books, and that's something that I did learn. But fast forward to the present day. Human trafficking, where there is money to be made, there is always someone willing to do it. Human trafficking is a billion-dollar industry. Yes, 
I said billion dollar industry worldwide. When you think of human trafficking, what do you picture in your mind? A dirty hotel room, a dirty truck stop. Victims are found nationwide in agriculture, hospitality, restaurant, domestic work, and other types of industries, including prostitution that you find online, on the street, or even in businesses, just like the massage parlors. Overseas forced labor can be used to produce those consumer goods that we just have to have in our homes and workplaces. And the victims? Men, women, and children of all ages, and could be U.S. citizens or foreign nationals. They might have thought they found a great opportunity only to find that they are now modern day slaves. Could you imagine being in that position? I know I couldn't. Just in 2019 alone, according to the Department of Homeland website, there were 1,024 investigations with the main part being human trafficking and a recorded 2,197 arrests with 1,113 indictments and 691 convictions, 428 were identified and helped. And not only that, they connect the victims with resources to help them get to get their lives back on track. Also, again, directly from the website of the Department of Homeland Security, these are two stories that I want you to listen to. Now, this is about sex trafficking. The last name's Blakemore who goes by the street name Magnificent. He may have traf trafficked hundreds of women across the U.S. between 2011 and 2018. And to enforce his rules, Blakemore allegedly slapped, punched, choked, and kicked his victims, and occasionally burned them with cigarettes. After one victim expressed a desire to leave his organization and have a family, a family. Blakemore allegedly body slammed her into an air conditioning unit, leaving her bruised, bloody, and with severe back injuries. The victim told agents she believed Blakemore wanted to make an example in front of other victims so they'd be afraid to talk about a life outside of his control. Blakemore allegedly appointed certain victims, quote unquote, group leaders tasked with managing and trafficking organizations' business, including posting commercial sex ads online and booking women's cross-country travel to engage in commercial sex as far away as New York and Hawaii. Now, Blakemore even encouraged women to tattoo his street name on their bodies to signal their loyalty to him. Now, if convicted, Blakemore faces a sentence up of up to, to life in prison. And this case is being prosecuted by Assistant U.S. Attorneys Melanie Smith, Nicole Dana, and Kara Foose-Pierce. And they're from the Northern D District of Texas. Imagine that. They just wanted to leave to go have a family. And he made an example out of her. And it's not the first time that people do things like that. They want to control that power they have over their victims. And if they don't have that control, they have nothing. And their control is through fear. Now, this is about hum human trafficking. Raul Granados Rendon, he's 30, 
and was extradited to the U.S. on January 27th and, had, and was arraigned at the federal courthouse in Brooklyn. Granados Rendon, he faces a 21-count indictment charging him with racketeering and racketeering conspiracy involving predicate acts of sex trafficking by force, fraud, and coercion, sex trafficking of minors, interstate prostitution, alien smuggling, and related offenses. A set forth as set forth in extradition, affidavits, and other court papers between October 1998 and June 2011. Members of the Granados sex trafficking organization include Raul Granados Rendon and others illegally smuggled young women into the U.S. where they were forced to work as prostitutes in New York City and elsewhere in the U.S. The organization collected prostitutes profits from the victims' activities and when the victims refused to work or resisted members of the organization, they beat and sexually assaulted them and then threatened the fam victims' families, their, their members in Mexico, including the victims' children. HSI special agents have identified and rescued over 20 additional victims, all Mexican nationals and arrested over a dozen additional traffickers or smugglers, all members or associates of the Granados family. Several victims were sexually assaulted by their traffickers, while others were physically assaulted. All the victims said the traffickers threatened to harm their family members. And these were just a couple examples of what happens to people during human trafficking. And again, this is from the website of the Department of Homeland Security, and I'm just going to read off a couple of indicators of human trafficking. Does the person appear to be coached on what to say? Is the person living in unsuitable conditions? Does the person lack personal possessions and appear not to have a stable living situation? And does the person have freedom of movement? Can the person freely, freely leave where they live, or are they their unreasonable security measures. Those are just a couple. There's a whole list. There's like there's like 10 or 12 indicators. And you can go to the website of Homeland Security or there's um, there's a couple other websites that I'll let you know about and I have them posted on my on my uh, Facebook page. I want you to keep in mind that not all the indicators have to be present in every single trafficking case and that the presence or absence of any of the indicators are not always proof that there's human trafficking. Please keep in mind if you do suspect someone of being a human trafficker, do not confront them directly or alert the victim to your suspicions. Please leave it up to the law enforcement because it's the safety of the victim as well as the safety of the public that's important. For the numbers to call DHS, which is ICE, their tip line is 1-866-DHS-2-ICE. That's 1-866-347-2423. Or the National Human Trafficking Hotline, 1-888-327. 7888 or text B free. That's capital B, lowercase e, capital F, lowercase r, e, e. And 
just for the numbers 233733. I get with all of the tensions going on between police and people, please keep in mind, if this is a human trafficking situation, all of that needs to be thrown out the window because these people need help. They need to be taken out of that situation. They didn't have a choice. When you are a victim of human trafficking, somebody is telling you that you owe them. Somebody is saying, I will take you and I will give you a better life. And then you believe them and they take you somewhere. They get you into another country. For example, someone has brought someone in from Mexico and you gave them your passport and you paid them money. But they said, well, I had to pay more. Now you owe me $5,000. You have to pay that off. Pay that off. I'm holding on to your passport. And what they say is you need to do this. And you thought you paid them off. And they're like, nope, you still owe me X amount of dollars. But that's okay. I sold you to this guy over here. Now you're in his debt. That's how this works. Just because you wanted to go somewhere to get a better life, to get a better job for your family, how the fact that somebody thinks that they can sell another human being is fucking ridiculous. And I apologize for dropping the F-bomb, but for me, I cannot fathom selling another human being all over because they said, I can get you a better job. I can help you get into this country so you can make a better life for yourself. Selling another human being is atrocious. We need to step up and help each other. We need to look within ourselves and become better. Facts about human trafficking, and again, this is from the Do Something website. Trafficking involves transporting someone into a situation of exploitation, and this can include forced labor, marriage, prostitution, and organ removal. This kind of exploitation is known by a few different names, human trafficking, trafficking of persons, and modern slavery are the ones that they are known by or ones accepted by the U.S. Department of State. It's estimated that internationally, there are between 20 million and 40 million people in modern slavery today. And assessing the full scope of human trafficking is difficult because so many cases are go undetected. Something in the United Nations refers to as the hidden figure of crime. Estimates suggest that internationally, only about 0.04% survivors of human trafficking cases are identified, meaning that the vast majority of cases of human trafficking go undetected. Human trafficking earns globally profits of roughly $150 billion a year for traffickers. That's $99 billion of which comes from commercial sexual exploitation. Globally, an estimated 71% of a slave people are women and girls, while men and boys account for 29%. Estimates suggest that about 50,000 people are trafficked into the U.S. each year, most often from Mexico and the Philippines. In 2018, over half, 51.6% of the criminal human trafficking cases that are active in the U.S. were sex trafficking cases involving only children. Only children. Reports indicate 
that a large number of child sex trafficking survivors in the U.S. were at one time in the foster care system. And this is a system that's supposed to protect these children because they were taken out of a situation that was so bad that they're not supposed to be there. And they got put into a system that made it worse. Advocates report a growing trend of traffickers using online social, social media platforms to recruit, advertise targets of human trafficking. That's why I always say, if you have kids, make sure you know what apps they are using because pedophiles reach out into your child's life through their phone. Always know what they are doing. Always keep up on the latest app. You might not want to, but if you have kids, you do it. And that way you have, you keep that relationship as open as you can with your child. That communication is open with your child. That way, if somebody says something to your child online that, hey, take a picture, send it to me. If not, I'm going to come and I'm going to hurt your family. They'll automatically bring you their phone and say, um, this is going on and you take it to the police. Do not take it upon yourself to contact that person because the moment you do, they're gone. And then they move on to the next victim. And that person might not have that relationship with their parent. The average age a teen enters the sex trade in the US is 12 to 14 years old. Many victims are runaway girls who were sexually abused as children. In 2018, the National Human Trafficking Hotline received more calls from California than any other state in the U.S., followed by Texas and Florida, respectively. And again, to contact the Human Trafficking Hotline, call 1-888-373-7888 or text 233-733, or you can even go online and chat. There are a couple of other websites that you can go to if you want to get more information or if you want to help or even find support. One is called the Polaris Project, the other Love 145, and Free the, Free the Slaves. There are countries out there that are listed as being the worst in being involved in state-sponsored human trafficking, meaning the government itself is involved in trafficking human people. They don't care. They're like, you know what? We're gonna help. We don't care. We're gonna, or we're gonna look the other way. Afghanistan, China, North Korea, Russia, South Sudan, Syria, and Venezuela. With China, the government, according to a statement given by Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, the government itself has a pattern of forced labor, which includes detention centers in Beijing that holds the country's Muslim minority. And as recently as a few days ago, there was an article written that China themselves have has had 500,000 people from Tibet come down into their detention centers. That's a lot of people to bring in. And they said that they brought them down because they wanted to retrain them and they did not want lazy people. That's all they were doing was retraining them and they wanted them to do, to be, to do the Chinese way. Okay, what do you say to that? Russia themselves is a tier three country. 
when it comes to human trafficking. They do not meet the minimum standards when it comes to that. They have made efforts and have returned Russian children from Iraq and Syria. In 2018, Russia only reported 14 trafficking cases for the entire year. And in 2017, they only reported 19 with 21 convictions on trafficking charges in 2018 with 27 a year earlier. And some involved baby selling investigations. Otherwise, they pretty much turn a blind eye. They, oh, okay, your kid's missing, all right. Now, North Korea was named the worst for human trafficking for the 17th year in a row in 2019 and now 18th year in a row. And the government itself will subject its own citizens to forced labor, both at their home and abroad, and then use what they earn to fund their own needs. And again, this is according to a statement given by Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. The government will round up both adults and children to work in factories and in other sectors that are needed. And then they will traffic some of them into China. And it's not unheard of. It's estimated that 80,000 to 120,000 prisoners are held in a political prison camp. And those prisoners include the children that are forced to do the labor. And the prisoners themselves are living in unhygienic conditions. They endure beatings, torture, rape and a lack of medical care. And that doesn't even go into the lack of food. Many of them don't survive, and what little money they do earn when they're sent abroad, the money is deposited into an account that's held by the North Korean government. And if these workers do not meet their daily goals, they're met with harsh punishment. This is their government that's doing this. No one else, their government. And imagine you just want to have a job, raise a family, be a normal family, be with your wife, your children, your significant other, and just have a job, have a home, do whatever. But you're being forced to be in a camp and forced to do whatever it is they're asking you to do. And if you don't meet that quota, you get beaten for it or you get beaten because that person's having a bad day, or your wife, you have to endure watching your wife be raped, or your daughter. This is what's going on. Now, I just spoke about North Korea. South Korea is listed as a tier one category, and for the last 18 years, total opposite. And they used to be one country, now divided into two because of a war. And where her people were treated worse than anything you can imagine, meaning North Korea, and it's a nightmare they cannot wake up from. Now, it doesn't mean that human trafficking does not exist in South Korea. It just means that South Korea acknowledges that it does exist and they take the steps to address the problem. It just, it's, it's so strange that two different countries that used to be one how they address this issue. The people in North Korea, they do as they're told because if not, they get beaten, they get tortured. Even stopping to take a breath, to look at the sky, wouldn't be allowed. Think about that. People today and children that have grown up in the technology era, era sorry, are people of instant satisfaction or gratification. 
if you want something, you get on your phone, you go to Amazon, you order it. Sometimes it's with, at your home within 24 hours. You want, you want to know something, you get on your phone, you look it up, you find it. When you become a victim of human trafficking, you become nothing. Nothing. Your only worth is how much money you can make for, for the person who owns you. That's it. When you cannot, you better hope that they just let you walk away. If not, they kill you and they throw you out with the trash and not think twice because that's what they will think you're no better than. Trash. You're expendable, replaceable, just like the phone in your hand, just like the last object that you had to order off of Amazon. The life expectancy of an average victim of human trafficking is seven years. And according to the website Into Freedom, the odds of escaping are one in 100. So for every 100 girls that have left or have been abducted, one will escape. One. Now here's something else to ponder. Human trafficking, as I said earlier, earlier is a billion dollar business. The only other business that surpasses it is drug trafficking. And here where drugs can only be sold once after it's been cut down and sent to those who sell to their customers, human trafficking victims can be sold over and over and over again. It's a revolving door of profit for the trafficker. There are those that do survive and come out and spend the rest of their lives either helping others get out or trying to readjust to some kind of normalcy. In a Time online article by Aaron Baker, it takes you through a gut-wrenching list of where this woman named Lazenko found girl after girl who had been used over and over again. Now, Lazenko herself is a survivor of sex trafficking, and she became a social worker to help those that could not help themselves and fight against sexual exploitation for victims across the U.S. Now, to give you a little rundown on the article, Lazenko was 13 when she left what she had described as a as an abusive home life in California and met this couple and thought, hey, I'm safe. She met them through a local motorcycle gang. And at first she was just asked to do small things around the house as payment for staying there. But then it became sexual. At 16, she was branded with a tattoo that read property of, and she was sent for, to do dance at a strip club. Now, no one questioned the fact that she was underage or tattooed with a property of tattoo. And not too long after that, the same couple started prostituting her to their friends and fellow gang members. She ended up dropping out of school and felt bonded to this couple, even with everything that they were doing to her, because she still felt bonded to them. She wanted that family. She wanted that connection, but she didn't understand that what they were doing was wrong because she didn't know anything else. But it wasn't long before they were asking Lazenko to start bringing other girls around. That was when she realized that she didn't want anybody else to start going through what she was going through. So she ran away. Now, Lazenko took time to look back and she went through some recovery and it was at that point she started working with anti-trafficking organizations 
which it became an on-the-job learning tool for her to work with victims, and she started a campaign for awareness. And Lozanko listens to those who work in the sex trade business to know where she should be looking to help those who need that help. Now, Lozanko founded, it's called For Her. It's the number four H-E-R in North Dakota to help sex, to help trafficking victims. Lozanko started with the hotel managers, front desk per personnel, bartenders, and baristas for a quick training right there on the spot, signs of trafficking, to look for those signs of controlling men who don't allow the girls to speak for themselves or who don't have their IDs or personal items that any young woman should have or those tattoos that brand them. And she's gone on um, federal uh, raids and she's even given pre presentations to the local uh, police department. Now, this article goes on to say so much more about how she's a courageous woman and what she has done and what she continues to do. And I will have a link to this article because it was a very good article and I would highly suggest reading this article. And I can continue to talk more about this and other amazing stories about amazing people who were able to walk away or get away. But this is where I'm going to leave it because it is a good way to leave such a hard, gut-wrenching topic. But if you enjoyed today's episode and would like to hear more, you can go to these platforms, podbean.com, Spotify, iTunes, and Facebook at All Things Erie from Erie PA. That's Erie with three E's. I'm also available on Twitter and Instagram at K-A-T-H-Y-B-R-D-L-Y. And if you have any questions or comments, you can leave them on these platforms, Facebook and podbean.com at All Things Erie from Erie PA or Twitter at K-A-T-H-Y-B-R-D-L-Y. Usually I have some kind of nugget at the end, but I have to admit that doing this episode was very, very hard. Working with kids, talking about sex trafficking, knowing how and all, just doing the research for this was very, very hard. For those that have small children and especially young girls, it is difficult to raise teenagers. They become very withdrawn. They become very, just very hard to deal with at certain ages. And their tempers flare very easily. They have emotions running rampant because their hormones are fluctuating. And sometimes you don't know how to deal. And I had two at the same time. And there were days that I wasn't sure what I needed to go into my own home. I didn't know if I needed an exorcist, the police, or I was getting my beautiful girls because the emotions ran so high in my home. And I don't, sometimes I joke about it, but at this I'm being very serious. It was hard to keep the communication going. 
but I implore you with those that have teenage girls, keep that open communication going because when they start to hide their communications online, that's when it becomes dangerous. You need to have a balance of trust with them. And I get what you, you can sit there and say, well, I paid for it. I can look. You need to have a balance of trust where they will bring it to you and say, look, I have this. Having open communication with your children is a must, especially in today's society. And I understand how hard it is with teenagers. My girls had cell phones, but they didn't have the cell phones like today. They just had texts. And I don't know how I would handle it today with the exception of having open communication. It is such a key with children. With that being said, please stay safe, stay healthy. This is Kathy signing off.